It is Sunday night, 7 p.m. I am Mike. This is the Self-Evident Podcast. You may notice this room is a little bit empty. That's because Massey is teaching people how to be disciples tonight. That's right. He doesn't just do it on the podcast. He does it at church. He does it in his life. He does it at the gas station. He does it at home. He does it everywhere he needs to go. Why? Because, guys, we are supposed to be making disciples. So that's your first lesson for tonight. Go out and make disciples. Teach people how to follow Christ, right? He is doing that tonight. He will be back next week for our final week's interview in this series, and then we will be switching up the format a little bit and continuing on our way. But tonight, we have a special guest, a good friend of Massey and me, Mr. Rick Wood. Um, we will have him on at the normal interview time. Are you guys noticing a little, uh, you know, routine, a little schedule type thing going on with this? That's right. We're getting more organized. We're getting more professional. Next step, national podcast, Joe Rogan, we're coming for you. Right, Richard? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. That's right. Guys, do not forget to check out the selfevidenttruth.com. Check out our website. Okay. Leave us a, a, a comment. Shoot us an email. Do not forget to check out all of our merch. I'm wearing the Liberty shirt. Richard got mad at me because I'm always wearing black. I promise I will wear a different color next week. Maybe the socialism shirt, right? Um, but you can buy these t-shirts. You can buy sweatshirts. You can buy DVDs. You can buy books, whatever you need. 1776truth.store. Check the website out, okay? Buy a shirt. Send us a picture of you in the shirt. We'll use it, right? We'll... we'll We'll put it out. Hey, we love seeing fans in these shirts. And guess what? Some of these shirts really do start conversations. The socialism shirt will get you conversations in the store. Good ones, right? The vast majority of the time, people love it. I was, I was standing in a store one time wearing the socialism shirt, actually about to come to the podcast. And I saw two people. They were looking back. And, and, and I saw them kind of conversing to themselves, nodding in approval and smiling about the T-shirt. You'll get people thinking. And the Make America Constitutional Again shirt, um, Micah, one of our board members, he wears it all the time. He looks great in it. He's one of our models. Guy's a superstar, right? He, he starts conversations with that shirt. So go out, be seen. You know, make a difference. Just buy the T-shirt that you're wearing, right? Yes. So we have more designs coming. We got stuff for you. I'm working on the Constitution curriculum for you. So that way you have a course from self-evident. What we're trying to do with that guys is we're trying to set up something that more of kids are going to like, uh, not, not necessarily like five, six year olds, but like high schoolers, you know, it's something that, that is a little bit more lifelike, something with a little more context, something that you can kind of sink your teeth into. So Krista and I are working hard on that. She is a killer at research. So keep your eyes out for that. Um, Torchbearer Society, we will cover that right before our interview. Do not forget about our Torchbearer Society. You can join. That being said, Richard, are you ready? ready He's ready. News bits. Let's do the news bits. It is time. Okay. So slide number one. UVA uh, mandates COVID vaccines. Is anybody happy about this? UVA seems happy about this. The university has mandated COVID vaccines for all all in-person students and staff for the fall semester. Okay, this is the largest public school in Virginia. Before this, the only public school or the only college that had mandated vaccines was the College of William and Mary. Okay, don't forget, 
These vaccines are still under emergency authorization of use. This means that this is not a fully approved vaccine. And I'm not, I'm not trying to say, so therefore it's killing everybody. It, it seems to have some effect. I'm not going to deny that. It, it seems to have effect. The problem is now this university is requiring people to take something that is still in clinical trial. You are the guinea pig. Take it or leave it. You know, plenty of people sign up for studies. There's nothing wrong with that. But now they're forcing you to take something that's still under clinical trial, let alone how self-evident feels about mandating vaccines, even if they are approved. But this isn't even fully approved. And the University of Virginia has decided that they're going to force all of their students to take it if those students are in person students. So if they're living on campus, working on campus, they're in class and the staff as well. So the university stated all students who live, learn, or work in person at the university during the next academic year must be fully vaccinated before returning to the ground starting July 1st. Now you may raise your hand, raise a finger, say, what about, what about the exemptions? Well, let's cover that. Students are allowed to find exemptions due to medical or religious reasons. However, they are going to be required to take weekly testing and other public health measures. In my mind, immediately, I picture a kid like sitting in the bathroom and somebody throwing a book through the door and shutting the door quick, right? We'll just isolate you because we don't know if maybe you carry COVID. This means, guys, that, yeah, you can have your religious or medical exemption, but now we're going to treat you like a leper. You're unclean. We need to be careful around you. We, we need to test you weekly. We need to separate you out with other public measures, right? This, this whole thing, to me, and, and I'm, I'm not going to get into the, the extremist point of view, but there does seem to be an undercurrent that is trying to make its way in of making two classes of people. And it's something we've got to watch out for, and we have to consciously make an effort to not make two classes. Even as those who may not get vaccinated or may not wear masks, don't make another class of people out of those who do wear masks or get vaccinated. There are other human beings just like you, and they're doing what they feel is best. This virus can do damage. It does send people to hospitals, and it kills people. So if there are people who are more anxious about it and feel safer by making sure that they have a mask on or they get vaccinated, that's up to them. Let's not make them another cast of people. Let's decide that we're going to treat them just as human beings who have decided to make a choice. And rightfully so, we make sure that they treat us the same way. We're not second-class citizens. And if you get the vaccine, that means you are protected in your theory. I even say, yeah, most likely you're protected. So that's fine. You're, you're not at risk anymore. But you guys have heard me say that, what, how many times? So... We'll move on. Uh, I just switched my notes around the way I did not want to do it. That's okay. Okay, we're back. So, Virginia institutions had previously avoided mandating due to the legality issues. A lot of scholars have even said, look, 
people cannot be required to take a vaccine under emergency use authorization. Again, because it's a trial. So there are legal scholars that are, are arguing against this. What it's really going to take is it's going to take a lawsuit by a student in order to fight this. And I really hope that a student does. Because if Virginia, University of Virginia gets away with this or the College of William & Mary gets away with this, other universities will start jumping on the bandwagon. We've already had this in our public school systems. It goes back to 1908 with the whole smallpox case that went to the Supreme Court, right? Schools have for a long time been able to demand or mandate that a student gets a vaccine or a series of vaccines before coming to school. So we have to decide, is that something that we're going to allow? It's really just making another step. So what I really hope happens is that we'll get a student who decides, I'm going to fight this fight. And a lot of college students are liberal, progressive. They're totally supportive of this. But there are that number of college students who are conservatives. And the good thing is they have teeth. They tend to fight because they know they're outnumbered and they know they've got to stand up. And one of the things that you'll find about conservatives who go through university and stay conservative is they're very sharp. They're sharp like a knife because they've been tested. They've gone through the classes where the professors basically said, if you're conservative, you're Hitler. And they've had to defend themselves or they kind of cover their head and they move through. But either way, they have to start shaping arguments that actually make sense. Whereas a lot of the liberals, they're so ensconced in the, the ideology of their own that they don't get challenged. So they just keep getting fed the same lines and, and they don't really challenge themselves with the other arguments. So they come out a little bit softer. My hope is that a conservative will come out hard charging on this and really take it to the courts. This is something that, that needs to be fought. University, of course, believes that this is the only way to get back to normal. And that's what we're hearing a lot of. This is how we get back to normal, the new normal, vaccines and masks. And, and something I've noticed is people are less, <laughs> less enthusiastic about the masks. I was actually in Palm Beach County. Richard, you know Palm Beach County. It, 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 you know, it is what it is, right? I was in the middle of Palm Beach, and I went to a, a restaurant. It, it was like a wrap shop. And... I figured, okay, there's going to be more progressive area, more progressive shop. They're, they're going to be hard on masks. I walk in. I think only one of the staff members was wearing a mask. Maybe about half the customers were wearing masks. And, and there was this very much kind of attitude of you do what you need to, but we're not going to push anything. And I thought that was really a step forward. So take hope that I think people are just kind of sick of the whole mask thing, especially now that the vaccine's out, you have a reason to... To if you're concerned, instead of forcing everybody else to wear a mask, you get your vaccine. Speaking of force, and sometimes force is needed, let's go to slide two. So the Gaza ceasefire. Have you guys heard about this? I've heard about it. And I have not been paying attention to news at all. But this one came across my radar uh, at work. At the table in the morning, we tend to talk. You know, and every once in a while, big news items get brought up. I was told about this. Kristen brought this up. I thought this was important to cover. Now, Israel is not America. Israel is its own country. We as Christians, we support, we honor Israel. Um, and, and there's arguments back and forth, even in the conservative realm of how does America treat Israel. But 
Israel had decided, so I'll give you the background. If you haven't heard about what's going on with all of this, you just heard, hey, they're shooting at each other. Israel had decided that they were going to move forward with evictions in a neighborhood in the Gaza Strip. And that always starts things off. When, when they start to make moves into the neighborhoods, especially this one, um, the, Hamas tends to poke their head out of their hole. Hamas fired over 2,000 rockets into Israel. Now, even Biden agrees with me on this, at least in the speech he gave when he was halfway cogent. If Canada shot 2,000 rockets into America, would you not expect America to have a response? Wouldn't you want America to say, mm-mm, nuh-uh, you don't get away with that. We're not going to allow that. So Israel responded with aerial attacks, um, firing from the ground, and <laughs> they destroyed hundreds of missile batteries. They killed plenty of top Hamas commanders. They, they really nailed Hamas on all of this. The problem is what Hamas does is Hamas hides their installations, their military commanders. They hide all of their things in the middle of a civilian population. They hide their stuff in schools and hospitals. Now, why do they do this? Because they know if Israel hits it, it's bad publicity for Israel. And I got the article from NBC, and of course, they tout the whole Hamas line. So they really sound like a propaganda network. NBC, in all their glory, they made sure to give sentence after sentence about the destruction that Israel had left. They said at least 66 Palestinian children were among those killed. Notice they point out the kids. Think about the children, right? And nearly 2,000 people were injured and tens of thousands displaced in this densely populated enclave home to some 2 million Palestinians. I look through, they never once mentioned the number of rockets Hamas shot. And they, they gave a brief description of uh, a, a couple of kids were killed in Israel. But the Iron Dome of Israel intercepted 90% of those rockets from Hamas. Now, let's do a little quick math. That means 10% made it through. Well, 10% of 2,000 is 200. Would you like 200 rockets to be shot into your city or your cluster of cities? Israel's not very wide. So it's pretty easy for Hamas to nail certain points. 200 rockets rained down on Israel. The only reason they were saved from the other 1,800 rockets is because of the Iron Dome that Israel set up, which they still catch guff about. They protected themselves, and they decided, you know what? We're going to respond. May I, maybe I sound like an Israeli apologist. That's fine, because I get sick of them having to take punch after punch after punch after punch, yet then they get blamed when they respond. It's something that drives me nuts because if we were really concerned about the fairness of this whole issue, we would be pointing the finger at Hamas and saying, why did you fire hundreds and hundreds of rockets into Israel, into population centers? They weren't just firing at military installations. They were firing into population centers, which they do all the time. Can you see I'm frustrated about this? <laughs> <laughs> so 
Biden himself even acknowledged every country has a right to respond if attacked, which really surprised me that that even Biden made comment about it. I think Biden, he's a little bit more lax on the whole Israel thing than um, Obama was. Uh, definitely uh, more uptight about Israel than Trump was. And let's remember, Trump moved the embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem, which every there, there was a string of presidents before him who said they were going to, who committed to it, but never did it. Trump actually did it. He just said, nope, move it. We're good. Jerusalem, capital. And that's important that we need to support and uphold Israel. No matter what happens in the grand scheme of things, when we look at Scripture, Scripture is very clear about Israel's role in the last days. It even says that they'll be alone. Every country is going to turn their face against Israel. And when the countries do, and they all come out to attack Israel, God's going to bloodbath. He's going to just wipe the ground. That means that God still has favor on Israel. And if you look at the miracles that God has actually brought forth through Israel's founding, or refounding, I should say, as well as the, the war that happened after that, miracle after miracle after miracle showed up, proving that the Lord was really like, I want this back together. And America is actually a very similar way. There were tons of miracles that happened at America's founding. So a lot of people who say, oh, America is evil, America is wicked, God, God hates America, blah, blah, blah. Obviously, the founding was for a reason. If anything, America was the one who supported Israel being refounded after World War II. They really helped get that stuff moving. So let's, let's not forget Israel's place in Scripture. Real quick, three minutes. Let's go to our third slide, the CDC. So back to COVID. CDC revises their test thresholds. I thought this was really important for you guys to recognize and see. They, they're announcing policy changes on determining what constitutes a COVID case for a vaccinated person. So testing gets done with PCR tests. I'm sure you've heard about that. Normally, what they do is they, they do cycles. So they, they, they're picking up trace amounts through these cycles to determine, okay, is the virus present? Problem is, this brings up false positives the more cycles you do. The cycle rate right now for the PCR test is about 40. And, and they really have pointed to 40 being kind of a meaningless point. Because now, now you're pulling out of thin air and you're getting all kinds of false positives. Even Fauci said, look, anything over 35 is really just meaningless. But we went with 40. Also, they had broad sweeping definitions in order to count people as COVID cases. So anybody who received a positive test, no matter if they had symptoms or not, they're considered a COVID case. So now the CDC has changed things as far as vaccinations. If you've been vaccinated, the PCR cycle threshold is going to be equal to or less than 28. So not 35, not 40, 28 or less, which means they're less likely to actually pick up positives because there's less bits and pieces and fragments that they can combine together in order to get that positive. Also, 
asymptomatic or mild infections will now no longer be recorded as COVID cases. They were before. If you tested positive, it didn't matter if you had symptoms or not. You counted. Now with vaccinations, well, you have mild symptoms. You were vaccinated. Nothing showed up at cycle 29. You don't count. The website stated, as of May 1st, 2021, CDC transitioned from monitoring all reported vaccine breakthrough cases, meaning even though they had a vaccine, they still test positive. All reported vaccine breakthrough cases to focus on identifying and investigating, get this, only hospitalized or fatal cases due to any cause. Only hospitalized or fatal. So we got a couple of different options here. Let's say someone who hasn't had the vaccine tests positive at 40 cycles with no symptoms. COVID case because they haven't had the vaccine. Someone has been vaccinated, tests positive at cycle 29, and spends six weeks down and out, but they didn't go to the hospital. Not a case. Someone who is vaccinated dies in the hospital but tested positive 29 cycles, not a COVID case. Do you see how just finagling these standards, all of a sudden they can really change what's considered COVID, what's considered not. Now, here's what you're going to see. You're going to see COVID rates drop dramatically because we're going to lose a bunch of old positive standards. Now, all of a sudden, the standards have shot up. So now they're not going to have as many positives. They can say the vaccination works really, really, really well. I'm not going to jump into conspiracy theory and say, so therefore, then they'll use that as an argument for mandatory. We'll wait and see. But the fact remains, they were very, very general in what was considered positive case at the beginning of all this. The CDC themselves even said, look, 94, 94% of deaths attributable to COVID had comorbidities or couldn't be directly linked to COVID. We had a guy die in a motorcycle accident here in Florida, and it was considered a COVID death because he tested positive. But now if you have a vaccination, boy, you better hit a high threshold in order to be considered a COVID case. Keep your eyes on the standards. The stats are one thing, but the standards of how they gather those stats is another thing. And we have to be watching this because when you research stuff and you look through the news, you want to know what context are they using. It's like with the NBC Israel thing. If all you read was, oh, only two children died in Israel and hey, they stopped 90% of the rockets. If you don't pay attention to it, all of a sudden that leads you to believe, hey, so Israel really didn't have it that bad. And they, they, they were overblown in their reaction. All I have to do is add in the information. Yeah, but 2,000 rockets were shot at Israel and over 200 got in. Now, all of a sudden, the standards change. Oh, my goodness, they got hit with 200 rockets. Well, of course, they have to have some response. And if I draw further and say, hey, Hamas hides all their people in the hospitals and the, the schools and all that. So if a rocket hits the school and kills five Hamas commanders, but hey, it kills two kids, what do people remember? It killed the two kids. Sad state of affairs, just like COVID, but we have to understand the context. That being said, let's go to our interview in a second. 
But first, do not forget about the Torchbearer Society, guys. Sign up. Start the monthly. You will be able to support us going to schools, community groups, uh, um, political groups, churches, preaching sermons. This helps us get the message out about Christ and about the Constitution. It helps us teach the next generation. You want to help the next generation, but you've been sitting in the living room and you just don't know what to do because you don't know any of them old young folk. That's fine. We do. And we can connect with them. We can use your support. And you can do a monthly of any number, any amount, anything helps. And so we've, we've been advertising this because not enough people know they can be part of the Torchbearer Society. And we'll be creating exclusive stuff for the Torchbearer Society. Look, there's only so many of us guys, but we can do it. We're going to bring it forward. Now, now that that's out of the way, I want to introduce a good friend of mine. His name is Rick Wood. And uh, he had a foray into politics. He had started in about uh, 1994. That had inspired him. Uh, 96, he ran for the Republican nomination at the State House. 98, campaigned for U.S. House of Representatives. He ran for the nomination. 2000, he won the Republican nomination, went on to the general election for Congress, U.S. House of Representatives. This is Mr. Rick Wood. Let's go ahead and bring him in. Rick, can you hear me? Yes, sir. All right. How good. How are you doing tonight? Oh, pretty good. Thanks. Good. Welcome, sir. It's I'm so glad to be able to talk to you about this because it, when you first, you and I, I think we were having breakfast one morning and you had mentioned you had run for Congress and my jaw dropped. I was, Wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> so I want I want to start from the beginning. So in the notes that you had sent me, which P.S., thank you so much. Um, you said the journey had kind of started in about 94. So just that, that is, is part of the, the general question of what inspired you? Because a lot of people, they, something, they, they see it, they're aware of politics, they move kind of in the political realm in terms of news, but it's oftentimes that somebody who decides to actually step up something sparks them. And so I'd like you to just kind of tell the listeners what sparked you and, and how did that move you into action? Well, I mean, if you look at how people get into politics, there's a catalyst event a lot of times. Some, something happens that uh, gets them excited, gets them concerned. All of a sudden, they weren't paying attention. Now they're paying attention. I mean, I've, I've been interested in politics since... Well, in second grade in 1968, Richard Nixon was running for Congress. I traced my Republican roots back to the fact that Richard Nixon and I had the same first name. <laughs> Everybody and it, it was it was uh, so my grandmother and grandfather uh, on my mom's side were both like solid, perfect Republicans. Yeah. My mom and dad were not. And they're they're more a little bit on the other side. And um, I'm, I'm the black sheep of the family. I'm the only conservative of the, of the four of us. Um, but <clears throat> I've always been interested. I mean, I, I sat there and uh, watched the Watergate hearings all summer with my mother. 
Um, we watched during, during the summer break, break, we watched every afternoon, we watched what was going on with the Watergate hearings. I was always involved or kind of interested in keeping track and, and watching what's going on. So, um, and, and my, my master's degree was in economics, focusing on tax policy, taxation and government finance. I mean, so, so I had this, this, you know, thing in me that said, all right, I think at some point this is going to happen. Probably, I think I even told my wife on our first date that I wanted to run. I think I said it, this, I said Senate at that time. And she was like, I don't want to get involved with a politician. Well, I wasn't. So it was okay. She wasn't getting involved with a politician. Um, but then in 94, see, in 94, 94, 92, 94 were, were big years because you had the George Bush election running against Bill Clinton. Ross Perot was very, um, you know, Ross Perot, his candidacy pulled as a third party, pulled away from George Bush. Without Ross Perot, George Bush gets a second term. Um, but there was a lot of anger against George Bush because he just didn't get it. And, and, and then in 94, remember the House turned over from Democrat to Republican, and that was the first time the House had turned over from Democrat to Republican. I mean, it had been Democrat for 40 years. Yeah. And the Republicans are just good guys hanging out. So they passed NAFTA. And, and again, I'm somewhat of a populist through, through, through my years. I mean, I, like, I look at people and say, hey, they're not being treated right. And, and that kind of, when I saw NAFTA come through, and I, I, I saw a little bit of an opening because the unions were not represented well by the NAFTA vote. And that's been proven out. Um, just they haven't been represented at all for the uh, opening up with uh, trade in, in China, the, the way they've shifted jobs to, to Mexico, shifted jobs to China, now Indonesia, Vietnam, all over the place. So, so I saw that as a jobs issue, um, and a lot of folks were being hurt by that. And that was probably the thing that got me kind of cranked up. Um, Unfortunately, that happened after the filing deadline for the Republican nomination. So I said, all right, let me try it out. I'll just go see if I can get enough signatures to be uh, an independent. And uh, that was the first, you know, kind of thing I'd ever done. And we had a lot of energy about getting signatures and, you know, people in our church were really excited. But a lot of folks were saying, you know, you're going to split the vote. The third party, you know, you could end up hurting the a guy that might have a chance. And, and you know, the, the Republican that got the nomination at the time was, was a decent guy, but he didn't, you know, he, he, his campaign wasn't, it wasn't the right campaign. It wasn't the right time. He was the right guy for it. Yes. Sorry. So you, you, you kind of started in the church realm then. So, so you had started, you, you basically conversing with people at your church and that kind of thing. So, was that the nucleus of the group that you got to help you? Now you said you didn't you didn't get all the signatures you needed, but obviously you had to get some people together to help move forward, right? Right. You know, so so politics is all about people, right? It's getting people organized, people to do things for you because you can't do it just as a one man band. That you know, to get four thousand signatures in a sixty day period, it's really really diff- difficult um, to be able to do that. So, so you need help and you need people to be, to come alongside you. You need fundraising, you need um, uh, connections, you need to know who's around and who, who, who to talk to. And, and so, you know, and, and really the best place to do that is where your social circles are, right? I mean, so people at our yacht club, people um, at, uh, in church, uh, people at work. I mean, th- those are the folks that 
when you're you, you just talk to them on a regular basis and find out you know what they think about that issue or a certain issue and then you say well you know is this something you want to actually go further with you know what do you want to do um and so no it, it, so so that was kind of the the, the starting point but that was the probably going to say that was the key event but then when i you know okay didn't turn in the signatures we got i don't know how many we got but not enough to turn it in to to, to move forward to to get on the ballot you know ohio had a really easy ballot access program i mean for um, for running in the, in the in the party, you only needed 50 signatures to get on the Republican primary ballot, which is like crazy. And you weren't allowed to actually give more than 100. So really? you, you got like 75 just in case a couple got thrown out. But um, it was so easy to get the signatures. It was fantastic. You know, that, that, that um, I don't know, other states don't have that kind of opportunity on that. I think other states should follow suit. If, if oh, absolutely. If we want citizens to be a part of the process, I mean, what better way than say, okay, if you can get 50 valid signatures, we'll go ahead and throw you on the on the primary ballot. Now, of course, you have the party. Well, you and I want people to be involved, but the machine does not. So, Can, can we get into that a little bit? <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the, you know, but, but, you know, the Republican machine or the, the Democrat machine, I mean, the, the machine politics, they want to make actually ballot access very difficult. They don't want folks coming in from the outside telling them where they're wrong and what to do. They want all, they want a bunch of lemmings to follow along. I mean, I don't care whether it's Democrat or Republican. They're both in the same kind of thing. And that's where a lot of the corruption is. Um, and that's how they select and they, you know, and, you know, when I when I showed up to try to run, I wasn't the chosen guy. And so I was going in and um, kind of stirring up the mix. Now, at the time, our the, the 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 county chairman was an interesting guy. I mean, this guy was like connected, and you know, there was sniff of corruption here and there. And this guy, he was a fascinating guy. Um, but he actually loved primaries because what happened in a primary is he got more people talking about his guys, his people. So a primary, you know. A, I mean, um, John Cyberling was a congressman in, in Ohio for years, and he said there's only two to, two ways to run, unopposed or scared. And, <laughs> and, and so, so the primary actually um, allows people to talk about the issues and talk about the candidates. And, uh, you know, it gets, you know, because newspapers don't endorse a candidate if he's unopposed. Yeah. But they will have to endorse a candidate they don't like and say nice things about him when he's running against somebody they like even less. <laughs> so so in a way, it's a way to get the, the media machine through. And um, you know, back then also, too, I mean, Newt Gingrich had just a really excellent, um, he called it the GOP pack, uh, GO pack or something is GOP. But he had a training for our. Uh, insurgent Republican candidates. It was a phenomenal training system. Um, we got cassette tapes every week. We got uh, position papers. We got uh, ways to um, structure our campaign, talk about uh, finance, um, all that kind of stuff. I mean, so there's, there's quite a bit of uh, resources um, that, that Newt Gingrich put out back in the 90s from 94 until um, actually 98, 99 when he, he, he got tossed out. So that was, that was geared towards the non-machine candidate yeah 
I mean, well, it was geared toward actually how to talk to the press about the Democrats in a way that forced the press to want to print what you said. Because hmm. they will, you know, it's the, the two C's are controversy and contrast, right? They they love controversy and they love to be, but they, you know, if you're just some guy that's agreeing with everything they say, there's nothing interesting there. So they want some sort of controversy. They want some sort of contrast. They want some sort of um, thing that they can, that, that they can um, use to divide and, and tell you whether you're, you know, right or wrong, or they like you, don't like you. That's, um, that's something that we actually, we've, is is fresh information that i think people need to know is what you're talking about is using the media because especially in the conservative circle we can't stand the media right we 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 well, try to run away from establishment media but right i mean so you got to understand i mean this is the the most bizarre part right the media will never be on your side as a conservative, they will never um, print what's right about you, what's true about you. They will never, they will never help you out unless it somehow helps them out. Yeah. And and so you're just every time you walk walk into a reporter, even though you're like, oh, this guy's friendly, nice, we're talking, you know, we're having a nice conversation. It's not. It's absolutely just like you got to be have your guard up 100% time. I mean, one time, this is in the uh, state house thing. Um, and I didn't really, I didn't do a good job at um, maximizing this opportunity that I think I had at the time. But um, I talked to a reporter about issues for an hour on the phone. Mm-hmm. And at the very end, five minutes before, you know, the thing ended, he says, oh, by the way, you know, the other guy says this about you. And I just said, oh, my goodness, that guy's a jerk. He didn't, you know, he, he doesn't mean that. That's not true. Well, what do you think came into the paper? <laughs> not 60, 55 minutes of brilliant policy uh, direction and the way the state needs to be run, education, all the stuff that we talked about, taxation, you know, you name it. No. Rick Wood called the other guy a jerk. He broke the 11th commandment, which is Ronald Reagan's do not criticize another Republican. That was the headline. You? <laughs> now, now having said that, you know, our, our, our the, the point in the press is you want to, you know, you, you want, it, it, there's only two things you want. You want them to print your name and spell it right. Yep. It doesn't matter what they say because everybody forget about, oh, they just remember the name recognition. So you want them, you know, so I didn't do a good job. What I should have done is called up the reporter and doubled down. So because that, every, that because everybody knew that guy was a jerk. Yeah. And here I was guy with the courage enough to call him that. And I should have just said, no, the dude's a jerk because this is what he's doing. Yeah. You, and and, that, and I, it may, may, may have changed things. I think I would say going back and looking at it, the Lord didn't want me to do that. So I didn't do that. Which is standing on your conviction. That's good. But, you know, using the opportunities that you're given, I think a lot of times people, they – they get a, a very narrow view, a very myopic view of like, well, I'm I'm not even going to talk to the media because the media is just going to slander me. If you approach it properly, you can use that to your advantage. As long as you know whatever you say might go back to print, you know, it, it's sometimes you can use them to be your loud piece for you. <laughs> right. You've got to, you, you, I mean, you know, you know, I, somebody I completely disagree with, but who's incredibly effective at um, media. And the, another one I do agree with who is very good at media. And you look at AOC. Uh, I mean, she's a whack job. 
Yeah. But but um, she gets noticed and she gets in. I mean, the, the controversial stuff she says, she just like she puts it out there. And, and, you know, in the beginning, Donald Trump, I just did not understand what is he doing? What is he doing? Why to do that? Why does he do that? Why does he do that? And in retrospect, I mean, because because truly, as bad as they are, they really only they only print stuff you say. They don't print the stuff you don't say. Yeah. So when they quote you, they have to actually quote you because if you record them and then they, you know, and you call up their editor and say, this is the tape from what we talked about and you should fire this guy because he just broke ethics. I mean, so so they, they, they're they pretty cautious about that in most cases. But um, I mean, and, and so a friend of mine was running for prosecutor. He was a great prosecutor. He was an incumbent. He's a Republican. And there was just a total scam that showed up that some lady said that he, you know, that she had gotten some sort of favors in his office. And then she goes away and dies like two weeks after she says this. Whoa. See, and she was a prostitute. And so the local paper took every opportunity to put in the, this guy's name, Mike Callahan, next to dead hooker uh-huh. every other day for the entire campaign. Yeah. And, and which was a total garbage. It was just none of, none of it was true. Yeah. But they just like that's what they do. They'll, they'll, and so you realize so you got to, you know, in one sense like, you know, did they spell his name right? Well, they did. <laughs> but it's not the, it's not exactly what you want. But there's I mean, so part of it is, you know, there's some, you know, I look back and I see Donald Trump's strategy of how he did it and how he worked on controversy, how he how he was able to, um, I mean, he pegged and identified the weaknesses in his opponents incredibly well. And I give him a lot of credit for that. I mean, it was, you know, and and I even go back to like the one debate in South Carolina where he um, criticized heavily the Bush administration for the, the invasion in Iraq. And I was like, what is he doing? Why won't he shut up about that? Why won't why does he keep talking about that? That's not, but what he did was he put himself, so he put himself on the left of Hillary, on the right of Bernie, and showed himself to be the only person, it was set up for the general election, the only person that anybody who was against the war could vote for. Yeah. It was because he didn't need the Republicans to love him. That wasn't the thing. He needed, he was looking into, I mean, he was looking five moves out to see in the general election, he wanted to be positioned on the war on the other side of Hillary votes to stay home. Yeah. And, and not and vote for Hillary. He really was a, a mastermind with Hillary oh, in, in incredible pointing out how atrocious of a vote it would be for a democrat and and he he was able to because he knew the media would print what he said and he knew in the debates that whatever he said would get replayed 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 and the more egregious it was the more likely it was to get printed or or put forward and i agree with you he he nailed it for her. He he made her look so bad and so unpalatable for the Democrats that they they couldn't do it. They just couldn't yeah. do it. You know. I mean, and, are, are there things about Donald Trump that I wish weren't that way? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Do I wish that he didn't have to use that kind of a strategy in today's society? 
Yes. But the thing is, he was dealing with the hand that was dealt him. And you look at his media strategy and how he managed it. it was, nobody's done it better. No. Um, whether you like him or not, you got to understand and pay attention to the strategy and how he manipulated the media and how he got them to at least listen, say, and talk about. Because the thing about being a politician, if you're successful, everybody's going to talk about you nonstop. That's the key. You want your your opponent to be fighting on your battlefield, not his own, right? Yep. You you need to be saying stuff that gets the opponent to react to what you said. And now, the worst thing that the media can do to a candidate is completely ignore them, which is what happened to me in the general election. I couldn't get them to, you know. Was that you know, mostly because you're a Republican? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm running against a guy named Tom Sawyer. Who is a total milk toast guy who had a name that like everybody knew, right? <laughs> I mean, who knew Rick Wood? But everyone knew Tom's arm. I mean, at least they thought they did. They thought they knew this name. The guy had been around forever, but he was but he was absolutely just a, a legislative nimrod. He had no credits in 12 years in Congress to anything wow. done. But and, he had the D. Yeah. You know. He's just one of the he's just one of the sheep in the Democratic fold, right? And and when you get the media behind you, you know, which the media runs skews vastly Democrat. You got, two, yeah. you got one Republican, one Democrat. I mean, I mean, truly, they didn't write a lot of stories about him either, but they didn't have to <laughs> more than you, right? <laughs> <laughs> right. They just ignored the race, which is a drag because I mean, I really needed them to pay attention to the race because that's the free that's the free conversation you get. Yeah. Let's let's talk a little bit about that, um, that run that you had. So the reason we brought you on is, A, you're an amazing person. B, you you ran a general election for Congress. Um, And and we've kind of been working our way up from the local election to more the national. So if you could just kind of describe, like, what was different about running a national general election versus what you you tried to do in the state you know and and what things that you saw that that really kind of you know, people should know if if they're thinking i i might want to go national for congress someday yeah well i mean the first thing is fundraising 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 <laughs> money, money, money. fundraising you gotta have a lot of money yeah. and 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 either you have to have your own that you're willing to spend which we spent a lot of our own and you got out and you got to raise a lot. Okay. And the problem is I mean, with the contribution limits is you got to be on the phone, raising money nonstop. And that's, but you got to be good at it and you got to realize, I mean, you know, it, unfortunately for me, what I, you know, I call up somebody and say, Hey, you know, this Rick Wood, I'm for Congress. I'd like to, you know, your support. And I was wondering if you could help me financially. And we'd have an hour long conversation. Then they send me a check for 2000 bucks. So my rate was 2000 bucks an hour. That's pretty good. The problem is I didn't have enough hours. Yeah. So you need to find out. That's where the national um, guys come in and, 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 you know, dump hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars and they bundle a whole lot of gifts and get them to you. I mean, there's, there's, so that's, I mean, to do it one-on-one on your own, there's a lot of 
what a cheap ways you can do stuff. You want to get some, you know, notoriety signs, all the stuff. I mean, some 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 of that some of that stuff's just kind of the the the, the ground level things you got to do. But truly, if you want any kind of media presence, you've got to have money. And and right now you're talking, you know, it's a million or two million dollars. And and so you've got to figure out how to how to how to get that kind of media exposure, especially depending on you know the market you're in, right? So different markets have different media costs. Different markets have different media exposure. Um, like right now, I'm living in New Jersey, or um, for the summer, I'm in New Jersey. And well, for a local candidate or a Senate candidate to get on New York TV, which is everything we see is New York TV here, yeah. it'd be ten million dollars. I mean, it's horrible. And then even there, you're sitting there broadcasting to a pile of people who will never see, can't even vote for you. Right. So, so that, so, 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 so money was a key, key aspect. Um, we did a lot cheap. Um, and, and, but okay, Ohio in 2000 was in our community. It was, it was easy to do a lot of stuff cheap. I mean, praise like crazy and kind of wander around and shake people's hands and talk to them. And I mean, it's really amazing. You know, people even tell me now, I see them that like, 20 years later, they say shaking your hand was the most memorable thing I, I from that year. Wow, really? So uh, yeah. you had, I, had a great effect on people then. Oh, I mean, just, you know, just walk. So 4th of July parade. I did three parades on 4th of July and I just walked the parade route and shook hands and said, hi, I'm Rick Wood, run for Congress, please support me. Hmm. And there were, and there's the biggest parade in Summit County was at Stowe and there were like 25,000 people on that parade route. And they, um, you know, people were like, man, I remember shaking your hand. That was great. That's cool. You know, so, so those are kind of things you can do. I mean, you know, probably one of the, the, the greatest, it's, I know we don't have a lot of time here, but um, the, the, you know, so I'm sitting there having to do, we had like three parades a weekend from um, Memorial day to labor day. It's crazy. I don't know why they have so many parades in Ohio, but they just had parade, 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 parade. Every community's got a parade. So Ohio you got to do them all. Different beast. I love it. Pardon me? Ohio is a different beast, and I love it. They, oh, they... Ohio's a great, yeah, Ohio's a great state. So, yes. so I'm sitting there going like, well, I don't have a convertible. I needed a convertible to ride around in these parades and, you know, and put my signs on the side. And I'm like, and I was like, so, so I prayed. And I said, Lord, you know, how am I going to do these parades? Well, a friend of mine from church, he he raised Clydesdales, horses. He's a large animal veterinarian. And the guy's like a massive guy. He's just the most nicest guy you ever met. And he says, hey, Rick, do you need to do some parades? I said, yeah. He says, well, I got this one Clydesdale I'm training to, 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 to pull a, a carriage. And um, I mean, there'd be really good practice for him to do. Do you know how big a Clydesdale is? Oh, yes. They're massive. Okay. So the sheriffs, when we show up at the first parade that, with this, this horse, they put me in the front of the parade because we had a horse. It was really awesome. Oh. And then not only that, this horse, this Clydesdale next to the sheriff's horses. So these fat sheriffs are sitting on these horses. This Clydesdale was two times the size of these sheriff horses. This Clydesdale was looking down on these sheriffs. It was awesome. <laughs> and so, and like, so we put the kids on the thing and we put signs and banners on the sides and I walked behind and shook everybody's hand. That's so cool. And that was our parade strategy. And we showed up. Oh, there was one time <clears throat> this one guy, 
so we had joined this parade in Barberton and, and these kids came up to us. They had all these drums and stuff. And they said, they won't let us in the parade because um, we forgot to register. We didn't pay our 50 bucks or something. He said, do you mind if we work true with you? I said, well, will you put on my Rick Woodford Congress t-shirt? He says, yes. So we had an entire drum squad, drum corps show up. And it was actually in Barberton, it was, a, it was an African-American place and, and people just loved the boogie beat. And these kids put on Rickwood for Congress and it just started. And they made up a whole cadence with, yeah, go Rickwood. And we're going down and just, I'm shaking hands and these guys are just playing. I mean, it's this phenomenal little drum and bugle corps. Again, somehow things provided, right? Those were all free. Cost me fifty bucks. I ended up, and then these kids showed up at like six more parades for me. Really? Awesome. They so it wasn't just that one. They they no, were, yeah. They're like, man, we need parade. You know, we we march it all the time. We need to parade. That's the most. Hey, there's one next week. Want to come? Oh yeah, we'll come. That's <laughs> Bunch of high school kids. It was awesome. Well, I love that you you sought the Lord on it, right? So so the Lord opened up opportunities, and and you know, you and I have had discussions about. You know, the end of your campaign, but the fact that the Lord provided what you needed, he, he gave opportunities that nobody would have thought of, right? Like nobody would have thought about Clydesdales, you know, like, Oh, instead of a convertible, I should, you know, bring a massive Clydesdale or, you know, well, I should get a drum squad walking behind me. Yet the Lord was the creative one in that. And I think people forget that the Lord is part of the politics. When we have Christ in every sphere, Christ is with us, right? Well, I mean, you know, I believe he was part of the campaign. I mean, one of one of the decisions I made early on was I didn't campaign on Sunday at all. I wouldn't go to an event on Sunday. I just said, well, I got to rest. I was working a full-time job in this campaign. I mean, it was like 100 hours a week. I needed a day off. So we did that. Um, the second thing we did was, um, you know, I believe like the handshaking um, was more than just uh, a political thing. I think it was, there was a transfer of something that happened for me through the Holy Spirit to, in, in, in the process of the handshake. And, you know, I look back and say it was, it would have been a life changing had I won. And I'm really glad I didn't win at this point in my life. Um, I think it would have really, you know, it could have messed up some stuff. So, was it the was it the thing to do the lord the lord was in the campaign he wanted me to do it um but when i didn't win that was okay too he was in he was in on that too it wasn't and then i don't blame him i don't say well you set me up for this no it was because the process that what we did the people we talked to the people we talked about with pro-life issues with people we talked to I mean, we were we were in one place and i just said look you know it was a pro-life meeting you know 30 40 people there and I said, let me ask you guys a question. You know, a lot of the, the, the complaints, and all, you know, complaints is, well, you know, what are you going to do with the babies that aren't wanted? I said, let me ask you something. If, if a woman decides not to abort her child, but says, I want to give it up for adoption, would we let that baby just go off to an orphanage somewhere? And 30 hands shot up and they said, no, we'd take it. We, you know, we, we figure out something to do. We find it a place, we find a place for that home. For that baby, so so you know, because they're like, wow, well, you know, what are you going to do with the babies that aren't wanted? Yeah, we'll support the mother, we'll support the adoption, we'll support 
you know, we'll, we'll, we'll work with them to make sure they have health care and stuff because we got all these pro-life um, organizations that, that, that um, we had. Uh, I can't remember that the, the place we had in Akron, but, but, but basically we'd go there and, you know, we had toys, we had um, teaching and counseling. And, and you know, again, these are for women who decided not to have an abortion. And, and then we would also say, well, you know, if it's not going to work out, we don't want you to be left holding the bag here. How can we help you? I mean, we had, you know, stuff up for the kid, you know, as, you know, even kid is six years old or something. I mean, so there was a lot of support. And there were a lot of people who said, yeah, you know, look, you tell me this baby's going to, you know, the choice is she's aborted or gets adopted. We'll, we'll do the adoption. Yeah. And it was a really fascinating thing especially when somebody said no it's not gonna work you can't get rid of abortion because of this problem and we'd say no we actually have it solved it's just you're looking in the wrong spot you don't know who you're talking to absolutely really fascinating that's that's awesome um richard do you see any questions for rick on there no we're good okay um any any last comments before we go rick well number one i would just say is if somebody wants to get involved get involved for sure um uh we we talked there's a book by robert heinlein called take back your government wrote and he wrote it back in 1946 buy the book read it um it's not easy reading but it's it but it talks about how the whole electoral process works the the roles of precinct committeemen and all this other stuff and it really helps you see that um we actually could take back county by county each party and that would be very important to do absolutely i think we have to be we have to be informed and we have to be involved um and then the other part is you know we just shouldn't waste our time convincing somebody of an opinion that's not theirs yeah what we need to do is recruit people who agree with us and believe in us and believe as we do and get them to show up and vote that's the most important thing because you know if I walk in, if you disagree with me and you, you know, say you're, you're pro-choice and I'm pro-life and I walk over and I can give you a thousand reasons you should change your position, ain't you're going to change. So the thing is, we don't want to waste our breath on that. What we want to do is waste our breath and find the people who agree with us and get them out there, be active and support. And then we also have to do it at the county council level. We have to do it at the school board level. And, you know, a friend of mine said, you know, look, Somebody's running for school board. I want to know, are they pro-life or not? The guy says, well, there's nothing to do with the school board. So says, no, the thing is, he's going to win this election in two, three, four elections now. He's going to run for a bigger office. At that point, I want to know early on, before we support him and set him up, that he actually is going to have the right value system that we can that we can work with later on. Because, it, you know, these lower offices, even for dog catcher, you really need to know what these guys, because once they get name recognition, once they start moving up through the system, it's really important to have, um, to know what's going on. So, you know, we just have to know our candidates. We have to know and show up. You show up at these meetings, it's amazing. Nobody shows up. So you can have a lot of conversations and you can talk to a lot of folks. And the, and the last thing too is, you know, the last couple of weeks, you're talking about the, the, the COVID and the testing and all this stuff and, and masks and all that. You know, Rand Paul has been beaten up on Anthony Fauci for the last month, two months. The CDC changed all their guidelines because 
of Rand Paul beating up on Fauci. Even though they belittle him, even though they put him down, even though they like, they did listen. Even though they, they originally, their knee-jerk reaction is, oh, he's wrong, 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 he's wrong. And then what, then what happens? All of a sudden, they flip over, they change the position. That's where activism is really, even though these guys are arrogant and you think they're jerks, and even the media folks, they do listen. At some point, there's a critical mass where they start to say, maybe there's something here. Maybe there's something we got to pay attention to. And you will find people in the media who actually are, can be, can be talked to, can be, um, can be reasoned with, or better yet, they may not agree with you, but they won't trash your position because they think it's well thought out. Yeah. There are some that have integrity and I've watched a couple of journalists and I use that term respectfully for these people who they, they have really been honest and it, it's, it's, yeah. it's really nice to, to see that there are still a couple that are, are being truly honest about, you know, Hey, this is how I feel, but Hey, this is what's happening. And, and I just can't agree with what's going on here. You know? and, and when we find those people that are honest, we can say, look, you know, I may not agree with you on this issue, but I do feel like you have integrity and you're honest and you need to tell them that. Because, you know, they're getting whacked on the other side. It's merciless. I mean, you know, they're trying to get canceled and all this stuff just because, you know, I mean, there's a guy out there, Glenn Greenwald. I don't know if you know who he is. was running through my mind through this whole conversation. Yeah. He's a whack job. He, I don't agree with half of his policies, but he's honest. He's got integrity and he's not afraid to say he's wrong. And he he does give an honest shake. He might not agree with you. And in fact, he may trash you with giving his opinion against you, but he's honest. He's solid and he and he's and he's not flip-flopping or you know changing with the wind. I mean there's there's a bunch of them. You know, he's kind of a more national guy, but um, but still there's you know, so so we gotta find those folks, especially locally, and find out who's you know, make friends of them and and just say, look, you know, what's going on? Yeah, you know, absolutely. Well, probably. And then then and just as far as the, the politics go, I mean, one of the best pieces of advice I got is, you know, somebody said, look, whenever you meet anybody, just say, you know. Who, who, who do you think who else do you think I should talk to? Mm-hmm. And it's really an interesting question because it gets you it expands your network because we're always trying to do is expand our network. How do we get more people out there? Yeah. And um, and then we also I always do. I'm a sales guy. So I used to talk about the two what's of the voter. So what and what's in it for me? And every time I'm making a presentation, you know, a lot of times, you know, one of, one of the first presentations I made, and I don't know how much time we have, but one of the first presentations I made was to just a, a, a community group. They invited us in, a bunch of candidates, and I was the last to go, which was the best position to be in. Every single candidate started off with a biography. This is what I did. This is who I am. This is what I want to And I started off with the issues that were being asked by the organizing authority and talked about those issues. Again, so what and what's in it for me? What does it mean to this voter that this issue is on the table? Yeah. And then in the last... 45 seconds that I had, that's where I introduced myself. After I've talked to them about all the stuff, 
the last thing I did was talk to them about me. Now that they figured out that I actually had some input into this whole thing, then they were really interested to know, you know, what's my background, you know, May uh, Reserve and um, all this other stuff, master's degree, bachelor's degree, business, you know, all this stuff that I had that were great pieces, but it didn't matter unless they understood that I had a clear understanding of these issues that were important to them and we were going to talk about them. And that was, that was the first thing. And I, was, I mean, cause these other guys would sit there, waste all their time about themselves and then just give short shrift to the issues. Yeah. Hmm. That's not what they're asked to do. You emotionally connected. That's, that's the, the biggest part is, is building that relationship. Right. Yeah. Um, so I want to thank you so much, Rick. Thank you so much for coming on with us tonight. Yeah. No, good luck. It's fun. I, I appreciate it. So, all right. You have a great night. Okay. Thanks. You too. See you. See ya. Okay, guys. So that was Rick Wood. Do not forget. You guys can go back and check out the highlights on YouTube. Watch it again so you can parse out information. Um, we will be kind of collecting all the information that we get from these interviews and, and putting things forward. And notice something that he was talking about at the end of it. People care about why you're running and what you're doing it for. Now, once you've made that connection with the person, then they care about who you are and what you've got. Otherwise, if you just rattle off, I'm so-and-so and I've got this and I've got that and I've got, okay, yeah, you're another person looking for a position. But as you could tell, like he cared about where a person was coming from and what mattered to them. He talked about NAFTA. And, and that moved him because he saw how that affected a lot of people. When you're running for office or when you're deciding to get active and involved, when you're in a position of leadership, when you're looking for a powerful position, if you forget about why you're doing it, you're losing sight of the most important thing. Remember, Christ told us to be a servant. That's how you become a leader, is you become, you're a servant to other people. You grow in serving other people. Christ said he didn't come to be served, but he came to serve. If that's how he approached us, that's how we need to approach other people. He said the Gentiles lorded over each other. We can't be lording over each other. Oh, well, I have this position, so you need to vote for me because I'm the best person ever. No, we're here to serve. Now, when you are a statesman, and you're running for a political office, that doesn't mean you give people everything that they want. It means what you do is you try to make sure that the Constitution is upheld for your constituents, that they're protected constitutionally, that their liberty is maintained, that they are free to do what is right. They're free to go about their lives in pursuit of life, liberty, and happiness. That's what your job is supposed to be. Now, next week, we will have Massey back. Next week, we will have our final interview of the interview series. Next week, we will be here to continue to wear shirts that you can get at 1776truth.store. You like that? That, that was smooth segue. Don't forget to check out our website, theselfevidenttruth.com. Be sure... If, if you have not left a review 
on iTunes or Spotify or SoundCloud, do that. It helps in the algorithms. Be sure to follow us on any of your major platforms that you enjoy. Share this. Five seconds share. Ready? Okay, you better press the share button. Leave comments, leave likes, leave unlikes, uh, leave criticisms, insults, whatever you want to do. Or emojis. I love emojis. Just you know, leave the poop emojis to a minimum, please. Uh, but for self-evident, guys, I'm Mike. Thank you so much for being here with me. I will see you back here Sunday night, 7 p.m. next week. All right? Love you guys. Have a great night.